Hi, and welcome to the Christian Fundamentals Foundations course. As we journey through these lessons together, my hope is that your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ will find meaningful expression and lead you on to maturity and fruitfulness in your walk with Him. I trust that this lesson will guide and encourage your heart. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to our course tonight. We are going to be looking at the uh, foundational doctrine of the laying on of hands. And we're going to be talking about the principles and uses for this practice within the local church. The laying on of hands can be used in one of three ways. Primarily, it's to transmit spiritual blessing or healing or authority from one person to another, to acknowledge publicly some spiritual blessing or authority already received from God. So to acknowledge the work of God on somebody's life, the hand of God, and also to set somebody apart, committing them to God for a special task in ministry. There's, there's, there's where we're going to start tonight. There's other, there's other uses, and we'll get into those as we go through. But let's read this quote by Derek Prince, which says that the laying on of hands is an act in which one person places his hands upon another person in some definite, with some definite spiritual purpose. Normally, this act is accompanied by prayer or prophetic utterance or both. And so we understand that this is not just normal touch or willy-nilly things. But there is spiritual transmission and, and purpose that takes place in this practice. We see it used very early on in the Old Testament between Moses and Joshua. And we've got a couple of scriptures there that we're going to look at. Uh, first one being Numbers 27, verses 18 to 20, and then 22 to 23. And this is what it says. The Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the spirit and lay your hand on him. Set him before Eliezer the priest and before all the congregation and inaugurate him in their sight. And you shall give some of your authority to him that all the congregation of Israel may be obedient. And so God is, we see here in just in this portion of scripture, three things that are taking place. Lay your hand on him uh, as, and then inaugurate him and give him some of your authority that's all inferred in the process of laying on of hands verse 22 so moses did as the lord commanded him he took joshua and set him before eliezer the priest and before all the congregation and he laid his hands on him and he inaugurated him just as the lord commanded by the hand of moses we see also in deuteronomy chapter 34 verse 9 now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. Why? For Moses had laid his hands on him. So the children of Israel heeded him and did, and did as the Lord commanded Moses. So we see that the, the scriptures here attribute Joshua's new grace and his new wisdom to the fact that Moses laid hands on him. So there was something tangible that took place there. A special grace was imparted to Joshua to lead the people. We see the two things that took place is that Moses transmitted to Joshua a measure of spiritual wisdom and honor that he himself had received from God. And he publicly acknowledged before the whole congregation of Israel God's appointment of Joshua as the leader to succeed him. Now, let me just pause here for a second because this principle is actually very important. Why is this necessary to be done in front of people? 
Jesus, when he, when he was teaching and going about his ministry, he made a very interesting comment. He says, he who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He who receives a preacher in the name of a preacher will receive. And, and the principle is this. God sends people to us, whether they be in our modern, uh, in our New Testament uh, setting or covenant of apostolic, prophetic, uh, you know, fivefold gift ministries, pastoral teachers. And the attitude of our hearts and our recognition and honor of the grace and the gifting that is upon those people's lives and the recognition that they are sent by God to us for our blessing, our guidance, our benefit opens up our hearts to receive that which God desires to impart to us through them. If our hearts are not open to them, what happens? We second guess everything they say. Well, is that really from God? And who do they think they are? And we have all those kinds of things to deal with. And so when we do these things publicly, we do so in the eyes of the people and so that, so that everyone can recognize this is the grace that we believe God has now called this person to stand in or the office or the position of authority. We believe it's of God and we recognize that and we lay hands on them in public so that an expectation and an understanding is created. The New Testament indicates five different purposes for the laying on of hands, and these are as follows. Number one, to minister healing to the sick, and we're going to look at all of these in detail now. Uh, number two, to help those seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to impart spiritual gifts and authority, to set apart and commission individuals, and to ordain deacons and elders in the local church. And you can see, obviously, there's a measure of overlap in a few of those. Um, but let's get into the first one where we see the practice of laying on of hands to minister to the sick. And wherever you are, I want you to realize and understand that you may or may not be in a position of leadership or authority within the church, but this practice of laying on of hands is for all of us. This is not just for pastors or those in leadership and authority. Any one of us have the, can be, as we are led by the Lord, can go lay hands on the sick and pray and expect that they will recover. This is not just for a select few. But God expects this from every one of us. When Jesus commissioned his disciples, he instructed them to minister healing to the sick through the practice of laying on of hands. We see this in the great commission of Mark chapter 16, verses 17 and 18, where Jesus said, these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So we see very clearly here that the ministry of healing was associated with the ministry of laying on of hands. Now, does that mean that it's always necessary? We see in Jesus' life, there were times when he laid hands on people, demons came out of them and they were healed. There were other times when people touched him, like the woman with the issue of blood. And her touch, her faith made her well, and she received healing through that. There are other times, like with the centurion, where Jesus spoke a word and somebody was healed. So this, it's not like this is the only method. But in practical ministry, when we are with people and we're bumping up against them and we're in their presence, to lay hands on them is, is a fitting way of, you could say, does the power flow through me to them? 
I don't know how the electric circuits of the spirit work. I don't know if God needs to go through your hand or if it can go direct. I don't want to philosophize on all of those things. But what we do see is Jesus says, go and pray for the sick and lay hands on them when you do so. Sometimes in doing so, you will experience warmth. You will experience God literally working through your physical body. Other times you won't. Other times the person will experience things and you won't. But that for me, that, that idea of, of, of touch, of impartation, and of presence are very real when we go and lay hands on the sick for them to recover. It's, it's also very personal and practical. I'm not just, especially in today's day and age when we have these devices and what's the common thing? Oh, uh, we'll keep you in our, we're sending you prayers, sending you thoughts, sending you, what? Do those things just work by a message or, or WhatsApp or something? Yeah, the idea of being there and being present and together as a body is very, is, is intrinsic in understanding this principle and how it works. We see a similar, similar example of healing in the book of James, where it says in James 5, 14 and 15, Is any of, anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven. Now, anointing someone with oil for healing is, is, in essence, it's another form of laying on of hands. It's symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and it's, you know, I've, I've put in the notes, it's, it's generally practiced among believers. Um, you know, just as a, as a practice within the church. If any is among you sick, call for the elders and let them come and anoint you. And like I said, it is, it is an act of faith by which the impartation of divine life and health is claimed for the body of a sick person through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is what the oil symbolizes, is the presence or the person of the Holy Spirit. And, like, and as we've so often said throughout this course, it's important to remember that all of these actions are acts of faith. They're works of faith. When I go and pray for somebody to be healed, that prayer needs to be accompanied by faith. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, what would be the point of doing it then? Just to appease somebody, make them feel better? No, we do so by faith, trusting in the word of God and that his spirit will honor his word. So very simply, that's the laying on of hands to minister to the sick where we go. And I also want to say this to you, just concerning this principle. Sometimes, to, and this is the, to be followed or, or to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. There are times when you will be led to pray a prayer for somebody to receive healing as you lay your hands on them. There are other times when you will be led to simply speak in authority and name of Jesus Christ to that person's body and command and release healing or to bind up uh, infirmity. And therein you're exercising spiritual authority, not necessarily praying a prayer. Bible teaches us both. And so I think very often we, fall, we, we come unstuck when we come at these situations with a formula. This is how it must be done. We see the disciples coming unstuck this way when they prayed for a child that had epilepsy and the epilepsy didn't leave the child. And they come to Jesus and they say, why couldn't, why couldn't we cast out the spirit? And Jesus said, well, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. 
speaking of their unbelief, but but not every situation is the same. Not every situation requires the same measure of faith. Not every situation is to be handled in the same way. What God has given us in his word is not a formula. He's given us his person and the presence of his Holy Spirit. And I want to say this, folks. We are his sheep and his sheep hear his voice. Never underestimate your ability to hear the voice of God and the voice of the Holy Spirit. You know, when my daughters are on the other side of the house and I want them, and I call for them and I realize I'm not getting the response that I want, what do I do? I raise my voice until I know my daughters have heard me. If I really want them and they're not responding, I'll go and find them and find out what they're up to. Why? Because I'm their dad and I want their attention for whatever the reason may be. I want to say to you, you should have more faith in God's ability to make himself heard than you should have in your own ability to hear God. Think about it in the same sense. We are his children. And in any situation, if we are sincere, God, how are you leading me in this moment? I see the situation. I know that this is not your will and this is not of you. How would you have me pray? What would you have me do? I believe the more we step out, and the more we open our hearts like that, the more God is able to lead us to effectively do something as simple as laying hands on somebody, praying for them or speaking over them and into their situation and seeing the power of God manifest in that situation. We shouldn't be afraid, but we should trust our God and Father. Elisa, I see your mic is green. Is there something you wanted to say? No, I'm, ah. so no, I'm sorry. I'll put it off. No problem. I thought you wanted to add something. All right. Let's move on to laying on of hands for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, again, as I said with healing, the same applies to baptism of the Holy Spirit. Laying on of hands is not the only way that the baptism of the Holy Spirit can be received. And we've got some examples there. No hands were laid on the first disciples when they were baptized in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. No hands were laid on Cornelius and his family when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 10. But in both of these cases, what's interesting, the common denominator, is that neither of these people or these situations were expecting the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They didn't quite know what to expect. And so God broke in in a supernatural way, and they recognized that his spirit was at work and was flowing. Apart from these two occurrences, we see that the vast majority of, of, of instances in the, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, where the ministry of imparting the baptism of the Holy Spirit is taking place, the practice of laying, laying on of hands was followed. And we see some examples of the new converts in Samaria, Acts chapter 8, 17. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So this idea of impartation was very practical for them. We see it also with Saul of Tarsus in the city of Damascus. Saul of Tarsus was actually the apostle Paul, and he was a, a Pharisee and a persecutor of the church. We know that he, um, that Jesus Christ met him on the road, and he became blind, and he went to Damascus, and a, and a young guy named Ananias, God sent him to go and lay hands on Paul, that he can receive the sight and receive the Holy Spirit. And so we see here in Acts 9.17, Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has, 
as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we see again here, Ananias had practiced the uh, practiced laying on of hands. And we also see the same principle going with the disciples at Ephesus. Acts 19.6, when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So we see again and again the same principle followed. Jerry Prince, another quote from him. It is both normal and scriptural for those seeking the baptism in the Holy Spirit to be ministered to by other believers through laying on of hands. Now, like I said, I've experienced this in different ways. I've laid hands on, on people and the Holy Spirit has come upon them in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they've prayed with other tongues and it's been wonderful. I've also been in other situations where uh, I simply preached about the baptism of the Holy Spirit gave a moment for reflection and prayer, and the Holy Spirit moved on his, of his own accord on certain people's hearts and lives. Mark, I know you're an example of that uh, a couple of years ago. And so, again, this is not formulaic, but it is practical. Is that helpful? Is that a helpful statement? It's, it's practical. What, where do I begin? We begin with what we do know. We're not limited to it, and we need to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. But at least we have a practical example that we can follow when praying for somebody for healing and also when praying for somebody for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Again, this is not something that's limited to pastors or leaders within the church. Every one of us has, who has Jesus has the commission and the authority to lay hands on somebody to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the baptizer, not you, not me. And so if we carry in Jesus in his stead and in his name, we can lay hands. Not only on the sick, but on those desiring the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we've already spoken over the last couple of weeks, the prerequisites for that, etc., etc. Let's look at laying on of hands to impart spiritual gifts. In the impartation of spiritual gifts to Christians uh, is one, or sorry, the impartation of spiritual gifts to Christians is one scriptural way of establishing or strengthening them in their faith and calling. Supernatural gifts are an integral part of God's plan for the church. And without these gifts in operation, the church can never function on the level and power and the efficiency that God intends. Now, these gifts apply to spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts or graces of the Holy Spirit, and as well as spiritual gifts in terms of authority and function in terms of ministry. And Timothy is a really good example of this for us. We see in 1 Timothy 4.14, Paul writes, he says, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the elders. And so Paul's saying here, Timothy, there was a gift that was given to you through prophecy by the laying on of hands. The prophecy revealed the gift. The laying on of hands either... Either one of two things happened. A prophecy revealed this gift or this grace that Timothy was to function in. Either the laying on of hands transferred that gift to Timothy from the lives of the elders or through the lives of the elders from God through their lives and into Timothy's life. Or prophecy revealed this grace or this gift and that gift was activated in the life of Timothy through the practice of laying on of hands. But we see that the two are once again associated Second Timothy 1 verse 6, Paul refers to the same incident again. Therefore, I remind you, it's a second reminder, 
stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And again, although scripture doesn't particularly specifically say what the spiritual gift was, it was a definite impartation that took place into Timothy's life through the laying on of hands. We see that prophecy accompanied this event in Timothy's life. And the laying on of hands, therefore, was the means by which the revelation of God's will for Timothy was made effective in his personal life. So again, this idea of impartation, this idea of activ activation through the laying on of hands. Number six, laying on of hands to set apart or commission individuals. And we see this uh, vividly worked out in the church in Antioch. So literally, Acts chapter 13 from verses 1 to 4, and it uh, details the event. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. So as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now, Separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So we see here a special sanctification, a special setting apart that the Holy Spirit said they should do. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. Uh, so the directive to separate and commission Barnabas and Saul, we see in this in this scripture, came directly through the Holy Spirit. So this wasn't man's idea. This wasn't just a good idea. This was Holy Spirit-led and Holy Spirit-breathed. But it's significant to note that the believers didn't immediately just release the two. There was prayer and fasting that went into this directive from God concerning Barnabas and Saul. And then... So they got the, the, the word from, from the Lord separate unto me. They continued to pray and fast. And then they laid hands on them and released them. Let me read that last point. Then they continued to fast and pray before laying hands on Barnabas and Saul to claim and impart to them the divine grace and power which they would need to accomplish the task which lay ahead of them. Derek Prince, once again, in the final analysis, it was he, the Holy Spirit, the executive agent of the Godhead, now present on earth, who was responsible for the commissioning and the sending forth of these two apostles. But we learn something very interesting through this example. Holy Spirit and God chooses to work through you and I as God's vessels. Do you get that? The, Jesus has limited himself in many ways to work through his church. That is his plan. You and I as God's church are God's answer for this world. He has chosen in his sovereignty to co-labor with us and to work out his kingdom and his grace in us and through us into the world around us. So very often our prayers of God, would you please do this? And God, would you please cause that to happen? Are, are prayers that go up. And yes, there, there are times when we're praying these spiritual, spirit-led prayers where things are being shifted in the heavenlies. 
But I think where we really need to, to, what we need to understand is that by and large, God is going to work through his agents on the earth, through his ambassadors, through his representatives, and that's you and me, filled with the Holy Spirit to be led by him and to impart his love, his grace, his power, his gifts, his ministry, even those of the Holy Spirit through us to those around us. And one of the ways we do that is through the laying on of hands. It's through the words we speak. As these gifts flow, the gifts of knowledge, the gifts of words of prophecy, etc. We, we share those words and we pray for people and we lay hands on them and we release those words over them. There's incredible power in this. There's incredible grace in this. And I think very often we limit ourselves and, and we limit our effectiveness for the kingdom by thinking, no, 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 that's just for him or for them or for a select few. Forgetting that that God, who is gracious, is not looking for your qualifications. He's not looking for you to be anything. He's just looking for you to be you. And he loves you as you are. And yes, there's stuff that you're working through that God is working through with you. But ultimately, God is looking for a willing and a yielded vessel. If God can talk through a burning bush, if God can speak through a donkey, hey, God can speak through you and through me. Look at Moses. He's such a powerful example. Moses after his 40 years in the back of the desert, God says to him, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. And Moses said, ah, not me. I'm stuttering. He tried every trick in the book to try and get out of being sent. God says, no, I've chosen you. I think we, we were a lot like Moses sometimes. We're so scared. Moses was so scared he wanted to take his brother with him. And God eventually went, all right, I don't need your brother. I just need you to go because you're the one I've chosen. We don't need her, but all right, just bring him along as long as you go, please, so that in that moment, I can give you the words that you want to speak. We, like Moses, want God to give us the instructions, the exact words, the manuscript, what to expect, how to do it. And God just doesn't work that way. He works through the relationship. He just says, trust me. You go, I'll fill your mouth. I'll tell you what to do. And you know what? As we do that, folks, as we, as we begin stepping out like that, sure, we'll get it wrong sometimes. We'll make some mistakes. But I'll tell you this, we'll learn in the process. I really wasn't expecting to keep hopping on about that in this lesson tonight, but I just, I sense there's something on that. I sense there's something on that we need to hear um, to be activated in our own, our own walk and our own journey and our own level of expectation from God and for God. All right, let's get back to our notes. We were talking here about Paul and Barnabas being set apart and authorized for a specific purpose. And I've written a spiritual principle in there. Only legitimate authority can convey and release authority. It's very interesting here. Paul and Barnabas didn't just hear from the Holy Spirit and get up and go. They were sent and authorized by the elders, by those who were around them. And they were sent out under the, by the word and the unction of the Holy Spirit. I think there's a lot of people today that call themselves sent, but nobody sent them. They've grabbed the microphone, they've drawn people to themselves, but they are not covered. There's no accountability in their lives at all. There's nothing backing them up and there's nothing covering or protecting them. True authority can only be released through legitimate authority. I can't don a police uniform and suddenly think that I carry the, the authority of the state behind me just because I decide I've put on a police uniform. No. I need to go through the right channels and be authorized to function. And so that, that, that spiritual principle probably 
principle probably works itself out a little bit later when I talk about being careful about who we allow to lay hands on us. So let's get into point number seven, laying on of hands to ordain deacons and elders in the local church. Very similar principle to the one we've just had. The appointment of deacons is made effective through the laying on of hands in the church uh, by the church leaders. So we see here in Acts chapter 6, verse 1 to 6. Now in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected uh, in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among yourselves seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. And again, we see through this act, the apostles achieved three things. Number one, they publicly acknowledged these men to the office of a deacon. In other words, deacon, those appointed to serve in a specific capacity. They committed them to God for the task for which they had been chosen, and they transmitted a special measure of grace that they would require for their office or position. Again, we see the same procedure used by Paul and Barnabas in appointing elders and overseers. Acts 14.23, so when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And you'll see in the notes it says, even though they don't specifically mention the laying on of hands in this, this, this passage of scripture, it stands to reason the same practice and procedure would have been followed and applied. Um, and then I have, I say this point, I said, in addition to this, Paul's warning to Timothy not to lay hands on anybody hastily bears credence to this principle. As it's understood that in, the, in this case, Paul was referring to the ordination of people as elders and overseers. Um, in terms of appointing people to leadership, there's an expression I've heard many, used many times. It's very easy to lay hands on somebody, but it's very difficult to unlay hands. And when we do that too quickly, when we're in too much of a hurry, we appoint people to positions of leadership, which carries influence and authority. And if they've not been tested thoroughly yet, if their character has not been proven, if their call has not been um, confirmed uh, through various means, we not only put them in a dangerous position, but we put the body of Christ in jeopardy of being led by immature or insecure uh, or unequipped leaders. And so that's why laying, no, point number eight, the laying on of hands should not be taken lightly. Number one, for the, the reasons I've just mentioned, um, but also for another reason, because Paul writes in 1 Timothy 5.22 to say, don't lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. We see quite a few things that we can draw from this portion of scripture. There are three key elements. Number one, don't lay anybody hands on, uh, don't lay hands on anybody hastily. And I've already just alluded to that. 
This refers primarily to appointing individuals to positions of leadership. Adequate time and prayer need to be given to these appointments. All right, enough said on that. Number two, do not share in people's sins. When impartation takes place at the place of laying on of hands, there's a real and direct spiritual contact between two believers. So we've got to understand two things. So number one, when it says do not share in other people's sins, given the context, we need to understand that when we are laying hands on somebody for eldership and we know of things in their lives that are not right with God or, or character flaws, when we ordain, we affirm. And so we cannot, and when we affirm, we welcome into the body that affirmation and that influence. And so if somebody is living an habitual sin and we affirm them, we not only affirm their gifting, we affirm them in their sin and thereby affirming their sin as well. Do you understand what I'm saying? How? So let me give you an example. Um, there's a there's a very famous. Yeah, I don't want to mention names, but you'll 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 pick up who I'm alluding to. There's a famous ministry, one of the largest ministries in South Africa, and the the pastor of that church divorced his wife and later on married another. What do you think happened to the divorce rates in that church? They went through the roof. Suddenly, it's fair game on divorce because we've affirmed that person and we've affirmed that practice right from the top. We see it in our country in South Africa with corruption that has taken place from the top. When those in when those in when we affirm those in leadership, we affirm their character, their conduct as well. And so if it's fair game right at the top, it's fair game right the way through to the bottom. And let's be honest, we see that has worked itself out. It's in every crevice and nook and cranny of government in our country. It's a huge problem that they're trying to weed out, but boy, is it deep. And so we got to pray for grace in that. So do not share in other people's sins. It has that initial implication. But then also, where impurity, unconfessed sin, or evil associations are present, there is also the possibility that the spirit of one of the parties may be harmed or influenced by the spirit of another. We call this the transference of spirits. Very often, people are under the influence of spiritual forces, demonic forces. And when we lay hands on one another and we impart who we are and we impart that which is active in our lives, we can impart not just the good, but we can impart the bad as well. And so I want to say to you, be very careful who you allow to lay hands on you. Don't just allow anybody to do that because you never know what you're going to get. Amen? Know the people. Not, not everybody is called to be your, your shepherd. Not everybody is called to be your oversight. Not everybody is called to, to, uh, to cover and protect you. God will place you in a spiritual family. And any ministry that comes through, must come through your spiritual oversight, your pastors, your shepherds. Even prophetic ministries, they come through. Those words need to be tested. And it is the response of, for example, it's my responsibility as a shepherd to make sure that I have vetted anybody that I'm inviting in. Because if I invite in an influence and it has an adverse effect, that is on me. So you understand, that's why we're very careful. You won't just find everybody preaching and anybody preaching from our pulpit. Because we've got to be very careful who we let in. We've got to know them, know their ministry, know their testimony, etc., uh, etc. Et and then we see the third point here. Keep, let, let me just give you an example. 
A young lady in our fellowship this week uh, had somebody come into her workplace who she met in first year varsity a few, quite a few years ago. And this young man started, came in and started asking her some very personal questions. And she eventually said, look, I'm sorry, I'm not answering all those questions. You're asking a lot of personal questions. Um, I'm, you know, I met you a couple of times, but I'm not comfortable answering all these questions. The guy said, you know, you, uh, can I have your number? And she said, no. And the next thing, this young man's father appeared. And he says, you know, why would you give my son your number? And uh, she says, well, because I don't know your son and I don't want him to call me. It's that simple. And he said, well, you know, I'm a pastor. Don't you, don't you recognize spiritual oversight? What church do you go to? Don't they teach you to obey authority and to, to listen to spirit? I thought, my goodness, who is this guy? I was sharing a story with Helen and the mama bear called out. She wanted his name, his number, his place. She was going to go sort this guy. Who does he think he is? Walking around like that. And folks, listen. It's, it's unbelievable. It's mind-boggling that somebody can walk around with such an idea in his head that because he's a pastor, everybody should just submit to him. And, but this kind of nonsense is in the body of Christ. And that's why I'm saying we have to be careful and we have to be vigilant. We have to test all things. And so when it comes to the laying on of hands, as we've seen again and again throughout the lesson, impartation takes place. And we need, therefore need to be, we, we, we mustn't be scared and we mustn't be afraid. Um, but at the same time, we need to be vigilant. All right? We can't just let anybody lay hands on us. And, and I, you will be guided, I know, by the Holy Spirit in this. When you get an uneasy feeling, don't, don't yield yourself. Stand your ground as this young lady did. I'm so proud of her. Anyways, the third point, keep yourself pure. For the very reasons stated in the above point, Paul emphasizes to Timothy the importance of remaining pure, primarily so that the ministry of laying on of hands may not be defiled through personal sin, but also as a safeguard to avoid harmful impartation that evil or familiar spirits may desire to have upon it. You understand the principle? It's, it's just a furtherance of the same principle. So we too need to guard our own hearts concerning our spiritual journey. The conclusion, the ministry of the laying on of hands is directly connected with the ministry of healing, with the equipping of believers for active witness through the baptism of the Holy Spirit and with the commissioning of specifically called Christian workers or specially called Christian workers. It also strengthens the life of the local church in two ways. Number one, spiritually through the impartation of spiritual gifts and practically through the appointment of deacons and elders. So that, folks, gives you a pretty basic understanding of the practice and the principle of laying on of hands and why this is a foundational doctrine within the church, because so much of Christian life is, out, is, is practiced or expressed this way. The receiving of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, praying for healing, acknowledging and setting people apart for ministry or positions of authority. It's integral part of church life. And so it's good that we understand its function as well as the the cautions that we need to have concerning this principle and this practice. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.